Hello, Marcus Brigstock here. For rights reasons, we are not able to include all of the music featured in the original Cabinet of Jazz radio series. I would urge you, beg you, plead with you to head in the direction of whatever streaming service you have or vinyl records you have or whatever you've got and go and listen to this incredible music. The Cabinet of Jazz with Marcus Brigstock on Jazz FM. Listening Colour. Welcome to the Cabinet of Jazz recorded live at Peter Express Soho for Jazz FM. Woo, Woo indeed. 1964 was the year Dizzy Gillespie ran for president and 64 was a big year. Elizabeth Taylor got married... Although, to be fair, that happened most years. Uh, In 1964, Beatlemania gripped the United States. The Fab Four played in front of crowds who screamed so loud they could easily have been playing Neil Diamond songs and literally no one would have known. Maybe one of the Beatles should have run for office, not John, obviously, because it's too hard to prepare a budget when there's no possessions. (laughs) Don't undermine me. When Dizzy Gillespie ran for president in 64, he said his running mate would be comedian Phyllis Diller, a jazzer and a clown running the free world. Sounds very good to me. How about we persuade Herbie Hancock to run for president now and get Kristen Wiig to be vice president? Or Gregory Porter with Sarah Millican as VP. Mm. I'll race! I'll race for President Gregory Porter. Seriously, Gregory, what's under that little hat? (laughs) That would be a very weird moment for people who don't know Sarah Millican's voice. But why stop there? I mean, why don't we have Kate Bush for president with Billy Connolly as vice president, right? <laughs> Whoa, Kate, you're amazing, by the way. I literally just wrote down the people I can do bad impressions of. <laughs> now, folks, inspired by Dizzy's run, tonight I will inaugurate a new president and invite them to create their own cabinet of jazz. They will nominate four musicians from the world of jazz, soul and blues, to take up positions in their cabinet, three for offices of state that actually exist, and one wild card left to the president's discretion. My guest for this episode, the last in the series, it's been so fun, is an actor, writer, musician, and director. He played Lester Freeman in The Wire and Big Chief Albert Lambro in the wonderful HBO series Treme. He also wrote and starred in Five Guys Named Mo and a bunch of other wonderful stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome the next president of the United States of Jazz, Clark Peters! <laughs> Good evening, sir. How are you? Very well, very well. Thank so you. nice to have you here. So tell me about you and jazz. It's, it's the first music I heard, probably. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my father was, uh, came out of the whole bebop era, you know, and um, I was born in the early 50s, so, you know, you can see where, where that is. It was just in and around the house all the time. You know, 78 records, I can remember those scratchy tunes. Well, I don't know whether you would call the Dandridge Sisters jazz. It was sounds like that. Baby yeah. Dodds. It was a drummer. I remember listening to a a, um, a record of rudiments that Baby Dodds used to play. You know, and this was just the funkiest thing. You know, uh, so it goes back there. Count Basie was always blowing around the house. You know, not like literally, but no, like, but the, but the music. Know, was like, yeah, you know, yeah, because yeah. 
at that point in time, you know, people were still dancing to jazz. Yeah, you yeah. Know, that was the music to dance to, you know, and, and cats like Count Basie had that little thing that made you move. Absolutely. You know? So um, I guess in my body, there's, there's a feeling of being held in my mother's arms. I owe a lot, to, a lot of my movement to her, you know, from standing on her feet and tap dancing and stuff like that. We're going to talk tonight, obviously, about a little bit about politics, predominantly about jazz, but the, mm. where, those, where those two meet. So we've got to talk about Treme, which is, by the way, one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I was devastated when it ended. And if anybody hasn't seen Treme, when you talk about politics and jazz, it's hard looking at that show to know what hit New Orleans harder, Katrina or politics. Yeah. Both at the same time seemed a deadly combination. But how was it working on that show and uh, what did you learn? Mm. What I learned is that um, in the divisiveness of the city, you know, uh, divided by class, by race, um, by gender, by different cultures coming in, that um, you can see people come together and to see uh, people who were at each other's throats last week following something like Katrina, helping each other rebuild their communities, gives you a pretty good idea of what we're capable of. Mm. You know, and because what they realize is that the enemy is not the white dude down the block. You know, the enemy is the other elements. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we all need to live. You know, it's a Dionysian city. That's what I would call it because they celebrate food, you know, and all of the mixtures of not just food, but all the sounds of the Spanish, of the French, of the Germans, of the indigenous people, whether it's the Crete or the Cherokee, uh, as well as the African mixing in. That's jazz. Mm. That's jazz. You can't just say it's such an Afro-European kind of thing. No, man. It's all of that coming on in. And to have a celebration of Indians, you know, yeah. Indians who are my complexion, not the Hollywood Indians, you know, um, and people who have kept this tradition alive, you know, for the past 200, 300 years to celebrate uh, their culture, you know, with music. Yeah, and the music in that show, incredible. It was, I mean, part of the uh, part of the mission statement for the show was to scoop up those musicians and, and get them in. One of my favorite scenes, I think in the final series, is when you and your son Delmar are making the record and you... <laughs> You're working with Ron Carter. Yeah, Ron. Man. And you, you, know, you, you go know. over to Ron Carter. I have and to tell him how to play the bass, man. <laughs> you know, y'all know Ron Carter? What, how many people know Ron Carter? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I had to show him how to play the bass, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you're laughing, man. He you, needed some tuition. It's there on film. You can yeah, see it, yeah. man. I'm teaching Ron Carter how to play that bass, boy. Now, Clark, we've got to get you sworn in as president. Now, under normal circumstances... Mm -hmm. The new president would swear in on a copy of the Bible. But to be honest with you, after Trump did it, it just feels kind of cheap now. <laughs> like I'm once his you. tiny, tiny hand <laughs> had, that enormous had rested toe. on that book and he got, I've, I've, read, I've read so many parts, I love it all. <laughs> it seems cheap. So I've asked you to choose something else to swear in on instead. Obviously, we have it here. Uh, and this is actually, this isn't just it. This is the first edition 
Oh, wow. Right? Uh, Is that how I'm getting paid? <laughs> we'll see. Just Clark, checking, just checking. <laughs> what, uh, Clark, what have you bought that you're going to swear in on? It's called Little Black Pearls. And Little Black Pearls is the history of uh, women in the 20s and prior to the 20s um, who sang blues and jazz. Yeah. And um, it's the first book that my eyes uh, looked at when I was looking across my vast library of books, <laughs> you see. Um, I thought it was appropriate again, you know, for now. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, Seems like the perfect book to swear in on for this role. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I've written you uh, an oath, which is right here. So, Clark, I'd like you to place your left hand on this uh, incredible first edition mm. volume here that we've got your Black Pearls, Blues Queens of the 1920s. And say out loud, please, mm -hmm. the oath. Okay. I do solemnly swear that I shall uphold the values, traditions, and aspirations of United States of Jazz. I'll keep time with Art Blakey, swing with Count Basie, go fast like Lee Morgan, or loud like Smith's organ. <laughs> I'll go soft like Ella Fitzgerald refrain, or find spirit and power like Johnny Coltrane. If you're bad, I'll glare just like Nina Simone, and like Miles, I'll never rest on my throne. With the guidance of Satchmo and Billy and Bird, I will lead like Duke Ellington, and <laughs> you have my word. <laughs> this I do solemnly swear. So help me Diz. <laughs> well, look at that. <laughs> little little jazz poem. <laughs> so before we go any further, I need to check with you. Do you think the world would be a better place if it was run by jazz musicians? No. No. <laughs> this has been a consistent problem through no. the series. No. Mm -mm. It's mm -mm. a thin premise, isn't it? Yeah, brother. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, try to get Miles to stop playing, like, you know. <laughs> Or, yeah. or, or Coltrane, isn't you just just slow down a bit, you know? Or, or fighting with Miles. <laughs> you know? Oh hell no! Because well, when Dizzy originally proposed this, he was going to make Miles the head of the CIA. Can you imagine the problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, we've met and inaugurated our president for the week, so we now need to find out who is in Clark Peters' cabinet now. The first position you wanted to occupy was Secretary of Defense. Yes, but. Yes. You don't want just an individual here. Who do you want? No, 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 no. I, I think that there's a lot to be defended in, in America. And it doesn't take one person. It takes a, a clan. And I've uh, nominated the Marcellus family to be my secretary of defense. And the reason why is because you like that. Yeah. yeah. yeah we'll give the Marcellus family a hand now. That's right. That's right. Because they defend jazz as a family. Don't they just? As a f yes, they do, really. You know, um, back to when I was in, in New Orleans, you know, every Friday night, God bless them, Ellis would be at the Snug Harbor giving you a lesson, you know. And sometimes Delphio would be there playing drums or playing trombone, you know, and any of the Marcelluses could come on through. So, you know, they held it down. And I trust people like that to hold down the culture. That's why the secretaries of defense... <laughs> 
I love the idea of a family doing before we go any further let's see it's it's kind of rare actually for the Marcellus family to all play together but we got a a special recording that that they did whatever discord existed in that family uh, Cain and Abel seemed a perfect choice but man they swing they play beautifully together yeah you know and it's Mrs. Marcellus who really bound those men together you know, who really put it for She down. didn't play. No, right? she didn't, but you know, she was the conductor, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was the master orchestrator, believe me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think that as Secretary of Defense, you you see more conflict or them being able to, to get us out of, of conflict? I think that they would be able to get us out of conflict because you could hear those discords going on, but still they were part of the collective whole that really swung, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, like... Uh, just like life, you know, we, sometimes we, we shy away from or we don't resolve the conflicts, you yeah. know. But in jazz, there's always some resolution. You're not just left out, beep, and that's it, you know what I'm saying? So I think they would be able to resolve some conflicts. They would at least get us around the table to start jamming together. Exactly. You know, you know. And the idea of going into a conflict with an entire family guiding the, the process, because if my family's anything to go on, I mean, if nothing else, a lot of conflicts would take the form of passive aggression. Which, whilst I don't love it, is better than real aggression. <laughs> Why have aggression at all? Do you know? You haven't met my family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to get beyond that. we got to find some harmonies. Yeah, know? I agree. Yeah, you know. But you're definitely right when you talk about uh, Winton and Branford particularly mm. being like, they're like guardians of jazz, you know? Yeah. The whole family is. There was another album that I, um, that I used to listen to on a cassette years ago, where it's a history of blues. It must be about three hours long. But I used to listen to this going back and forth all the time. And it, was, and it would swing. And not only did it swing, it was an education. You know, they took you from, uh, uh, from the early 1900s and they were dropping names and dates and telling little stories and all the time playing. They are the guardians of it. You know? Absolutely. And, 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 the, and we the, need more of that. There was a great moment. Uh, I think it was a pretty recent interview, actually, with Winton talking about when he met Ella Fitzgerald. And by that time, she was sitting in a wheelchair most of the time. Mm-hmm. And she knew exactly who he was. He was very awed by being in her presence. And uh, she talked with him briefly about him being like this guardian. And yeah. then right at the end, she went, good luck. <laughs> like in a really pointed way it's like, yes. good luck with that that's a, that's a mission but he does uh, you know uh, Winton particularly is is very keen that, that with jazz that whatever else happens whatever experimentation happens improvisation and all the rest of it that swing is at the heart of it so yeah. I like this as a suggestion as Secretary of Defense because swing you cannot do without listening to others yeah that's right yes when you Go back to New Orleans. You know, you have uh, five horns, right? Nobody knows what they intend to play, right? Mm -hmm. You get a trombone, you get a a, a clarinet, you get a a cornet, you get a a tuba. Mm. You might even get an oboe or a flute up and through there, you know? And if you're listening to them, you think, like, how did they know where to go? Mm. You know, who's keeping the bottom, you know? And it might start off with the tuba, boom, 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 you know, but it could end up with the flute going, <laughs> and the, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you're right. You have to listen. You know, there's a, um, in New Orleans, 
Since Katrina, uh, they've tried to uh, really sort of kill the jazz culture by making laws, creating laws uh, to stop music from being a nuisance in the streets. And this is brought about by people who have come to um, uh, New Orleans post-Katrina because the property value had gone down. So you get a lot of people from the north, from the west coming into New Orleans, right, saying, no, that noise is too much, you know. Well, why the hell did you come to New Orleans in the first damn place, you know? Yeah. And I like, didn't come here to hear music, God damn it. <laughs> you know, yeah, I just want to go to Bourbon Street. But the, uh, the, the point is that it's such a part of the culture that a, a kid, nine years old, might be rummaging through their garage or an attic and come up with a horn, yeah. right? And try... Yeah. You know, try oh, to make you've heard noise. me play. Yes, I have. <laughs> I saw you play. You know, and that kid will go out on the stoop and try to make a noise, and someone will come on over and show that child how to play yeah. that tune or to make a noise, right? And so the whole community is part of yeah. the, the musical education. Buskers in New Orleans, if you can't play and you try to busk... Boy, oh boy, man, you ain't getting nothing. You know what I'm saying? And people will take your shit away from you. You know, don't offend us. All right, well, I think that uh, President Clark Peters' suggestion for the Marcellus family to be secretaries of defense, I am quite persuaded, but what do the audience here at Pizza Express Jazz and Soho? All right. All right. There's some... There's yeah. some semblance of democracy at play, <laughs> at play here. So the Marcellus family in their entirety will be our secretaries of defense. But let's have a listen to this next track, then you can tell us who it is. Kurt Elling, that's exactly who it is. And he is my secretary of culture and art. And the reason why is because, believe it or not, the United States does not have a ministry of culture and art. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, there is. Yeah. There's no ministry for culture and art no, in the no. States? Not as prominent as it should be. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Wow. And so I think that, you know, what I think about Kurt is that you know, he's well-traveled and he's adopted a little black brother. That's the other thing I think about him, you know. He transcends, uh, you know, the whole racial thing and he is so much into his jazz. When I was working with him, he was calling his son every day, you know, to find out how things were, what he was up to. And to see this father, this adopted child, feel like this, I thought, you know, you are a special soul. And we sing in about the same range, you know. He's, he, he's not a tenor, you know. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I gravitate towards uh, men who sing in, in the, um, from the bottle. Sure. Yeah. And do you think he would be uh, a champion of all arts and culture? Yes, okay. most definitely. Because he's not myopic. Because he's well-traveled. Because he has worked with so many other artists across the board. Men, women, black, white, Chinese, Japanese, whatever. You know? And I think that it takes someone who has an eclectic intellect to be able to hold that post the way that I would like to see it be held. Absolutely. Know, to be able to share all of this. You know, we need some cross-pollination. Well, there's always been some cross-pollination, but like, you know, you know, um, 
we just need more of that. Yeah, know? well, it, it seems like a pretty good choice. I've got a couple of quotes here uh, from Kurt. He said, I, I love this quote when he was talking about uh, project selection. He said, I look for things that I think I can contribute to in some way, to the history of the song by way of, I don't know about innovation, but some kind of personal stamp, some way of conveying that composition to my contemporaries and those who listen. That's very cool to, to be so selective and think, well, hang on, anybody can cover a song or, or set about on a project, but what can I bring to this? How can I make this my own? Eclectic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Intellect. What do you do, what do, you do when you're starting a, a, a big new project? Because you've done a whole wide range of different things, written stuff, directed stuff, acted in a bunch of stuff. Um, first thing I do is get really nervous. Um, and then I focus on the truth that I can find within it you know um, we lost one of our great uh, queens of the film you know Cicely Tyson last year maybe it was this year and um, she was asked pretty much the same question you know and, and she answered it absolutely accurately and it clarified things for me she said I try to find things in which I can speak my truth and that's what I try to do, you know, um, whether it's music or, or, or whether it's theater or film or a character. You know, I try to find something in that that I can latch my heart onto mm -hmm. and let that carry me on through. And it's not always good people. You know, sometimes it's just the story it's, it's, itself. You know, um, this whole egocentric hierarchy of Hollywood and, and you know, A-listers, B-listers and all that, you know, I think that um, we've forgotten that the story you're telling is really the star. You just a part of it. So I try to find a good story and tell that, you know, and be a part of that. All right. So Kurt Elling for Secretary of Arts and Culture. Uh, I'm going to put it to the audience. Oh, okay. People are not as swayed by the Marsalis family. Uh, okay. Don't. Don't just nod everything through, guys. It's no good whistling now. <laughs> all right. It so, was a trick question, right? All right. So, Kurt Elling for Secretary of Arts and Culture. Mm. Now, we're recording this live at Pizza Express Soho, and I've set the audience to work uh, coming up with their own ideas for cabinet members. So, let's have a look at what a few of you have suggested. Uh, Joni Mitchell as Minister of Sport. Hmm. Why? Because of her, her fondness for ice skating. Uh, what other suggestions do we have here? Leonard Cohen, Minister of Finance. No, I'm saying no. That's a hard pass on that one. Um, Amy, oh, so this, this runs up against your suggestion for Kurt Elling. Amy Winehouse, Minister of Culture. I mean... It's a certain approach to culture. I don't know. I feel like the... the oh, we can't speak ill of someone as amazing as Amy Winehouse, but I do feel like the ministry might be a little bit quirky yeah. and unmanageable. <laughs> uh, Gregory Porter. This is a cool ministerial position. Yeah. The Minister of Gentleness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's what we need. And this is another great suggestion here. Uh, um, Emily Sande, Minister of Opportunities. What a great ministerial post that would be, just someone whose whole job it is 
to give you opportunities yeah just create no not me i'm a straight white male i'm fine (laughs) all right what have we got uh charlie parker minister of transport (laughs) he would sort out the parking and aviation issues (laughs) but what because his name's parker (laughs) now for this next role You've selected two artists, and I'm not going to say who they are, but we're going to hear versions of both of them singing the same tune. All right, Clark, you want to tell us who we were listening to there? Let's. No, I, I want the audience to tell me who <laughs> you listened to. Who was the gentle one we heard first? Diana Krall. Diana Krall oh, is yes, the right yes, answer, yes, correct. And who was swinging it after that? There you Dee go. Dee Dee Bridgewater. There you go. That's right. That's right. That's Diana right. Kroll and Dee Dee Bridgewater. Well, you have nominated them as the joint chiefs of whatever the hell they want to be in charge of. <laughs> Does that work? See, that didn't even call for any prompting. There you go. <laughs> and that's exactly how I put it. Whatever the hell they want to be in charge of. <laughs> now, is that, Mr. President, because you're intimidated to assign a role to them? You think if you told them what to do, they'd have you for dinner? Yeah, probably. what do you think they'd be particularly good at well i i really don't know just because i dig them both as as vocalists yes that's it i I dig them both and you only give me four posings man you know there's a there's a whole slew of people that i want to throw up and through there but i felt that i would have Didi from my community and donna from your community and i felt that those two together you know, might find a harmony for all of us. Simple as that. I like it. All right, I like it. I mean, you said (laughs) I've only allowed you four, but you've already... Had a whole family, I know. I snuck them in. And then two people here. I I know, I know, I know. This sounds like... uh, You know what my presidency is going to be like, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a private party in the the treme. Yeah, bring everybody in. Yeah, no, I like this. I mean, I think maybe that's a good example, those two versions there, and there are hundreds, maybe thousands of versions of that uh, wonderful piece of music, of the different ways that that people approach things and getting the two of them to work together to run... Well, you know, I think it'd be like good cop and bad cop, wouldn't it? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe they could do, like, kind of crisis management, you know? (laughs) Send them in when something goes wrong. Or negotiators. Have you seen them both play live? You, you seen a Diana Krall play live? I haven't seen Diana play live, but I mean, I've worked with Dee Dee. Yeah. But I can't wait to see her. And I think that the other part thing I dig about her is that, uh, what's her husband's name? Elvis <laughs> right? Can you imagine being married to Elvis Costello? Man, with a name like Elvis Costello? <laughs> Elvis Costello. But I think, I think that's what I dig about her as well. Yeah. You know, or about them. You know, and appreciation of, of music. All right. So Diana Krall and Dee Dee Bridgewater, the joint yeah. chiefs of whatever the hell they want to be in charge of. I'm going to have to revisit that one and see. <laughs> well, no, listen, you know, not all of these automatically get through. Now, usually our presidents only have one wild card, but you have. I mean, technically, you've taken three. <laughs> you've created a ministerial position, uh, arts and culture that kind of didn't quite exist. There's whatever the hell they want to do. And finally, this wild card. But before we say what that is, let's have a listen to this piece of music. Before you tell us who that was, why don't you tell us the uh, position that you've created there? Yeah, the ambassador of love and light. Yeah. And who was that we were listening to? 
Uh, let me ask anybody else know that voice? And I know that you don't, and, and I'm ashamed of you for not knowing. <laughs> I really am, you know, because uh, everyone loves Cleo Lane, you know, but very few really want to listen to Elaine Del Mar. Someone, one you know, person did know, but was yeah. too shy to say, <laughs> Elaine Delmar. Elaine Delmar, you know, born and bred right here out of Britain and is homegrown. And she is really just love and light, as you can hear. She embodies so many great singers. You know, um, sometimes you can hear Ella moving through her or Sarah Vaughan moving through her. And she can scat like nobody's business as well. You know, not as frantic as, as Dee Dee. Not frantic, but not as um, yeah. frantic as Dee Dee. <laughs> you know. As she's getting up there in, in the years, you know, I just think that she is, she's such a product of now and a, and a continuity of the uh, Afro-Caribbean story mm-hmm. in England, you know, with her father uh, playing with... Snake Hips Johnson, and the stories that she carries with her as well. And you can hear it in her voice. You You really can. You can hear the love and the light in her voice. And she's got the greatest smile. And she's a giggler. I love that. If she starts laughing on Monday, she's laughing all the way to the end of the week. And you've worked with her like way back when, yeah? I met her in um, Bubbling Brown Sugar in 1978. And... uh, we got to be really good friends, you know. Um, what I loved about her is that she's regal. She really is a queen, you know, and she carries herself like that, mm. you know. And with her, as I say, she has this whole history that is like her train that she carries with her. Can I tell a story about her? Please do. Yeah. You know, we're doing Bubbling Brown Sugar, and um, Bubbling Brown Sugar is the story of two old vaudevillians or from another generation who are trying to school a younger generation on what Harlem is like. You know, I found out on my way to Harlem. You know, um, and Elaine was the one who, who took us back in time. And the stage was set so that we had like a pyramid shape where the whole cast sat on. And the entrance to the stage was through the center of the pyramid, coming straight down stage. And she had the best entrance of any actor in the world. You know, straight down stage, spotlight on her. She had this beautiful uh, sequin blue dress, you know, just gorgeous. When she walked out, all the light in the world was blue, and there she was, you know. And her line was... um, Poet and sage turn out page after page about Harlem, true and untrue. Now, I'm neither poet nor sage, and I know it. However, if I may be clever, this is my point of view. It's a symphony, la 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 la. And she goes into opening up the, the song. Well, the great Billy Daniels uh, and Lon Satin were trying to introduce her, you know, and uh, they're saying, you know, well, we don't know about that, you know, but we, we know that Miss Page knows about that, you know, and... And that was her cue to come on, you know, and she wasn't there. And so they begin ad-libbing. Yeah, Miss Page really knows about what's going on in Harlem. (laughs) Yeah, we don't know anything there, but Miss Page knows what's going on in Harlem. And then we hear this (laughs) running around backstage. 
She comes through, and she's she's all flustered, you know. And she goes, "Oh yes, yeah, poet sage, turn that page up a bit about Harlem, true and untrue." Well, what she realized was not only was she late, but she had on her feet these really dusty pink mules. <laughs> Now, if you can imagine the blue, like these lights here, you know, with an old dusty pink, you know, your eyes are gonna go right there. And hers did as well. But that wasn't the cap of it all. Um, her dress, she had a halter neck and a small bolero jacket that went over it. It was really a beautiful piece of apparel. And so she came on out and um, we found out later that she had been looking for the brassiere to wear underneath this, this halt neck um, piece, right? So the first thing she notices is the mules. And so she goes, poet and sage turn up page after page about Harlem. And the bra was hanging And she laughed for the next month. All you had to do was look at her arm or look at her feet, and she would be off. <laughs> I love her for it. <laughs> if, if nothing else, she could just recount that story as Minister of Love and Light. And... <laughs> what would you like the Ministry of Love and Light to, to see to? Less hate. Mm -hmm. um, light as enlightenment, as in education. You know, um, it's just ignorance that, 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 that separates us. It really is. That's all that separates us is just ignorance and being stuck in our own boxes and having something imposed on us that we've accepted, you know, and there's no reason to accept that. You know, here's a good example. <clears throat> Everyone does these DNA tests, right? Where are you from? You know what I mean, right? Mm -hmm. Now, it's DNA right? It's in your body, right? It's part of you organically. It has nothing to do with the terrain of the land that you live on, should it? Mm -hmm. It's you. So I've got a friend who says, oh man, look at this. I'm part Nigerian. I've got uh, some American in me. I've got Irish. I'm thinking, since when is Nigeria an ethnicity? Mm -hmm. You know, so these divisions that are put on top of us give us a sense that will, will force us to be a bit xenophobic because there's a border there <laughs> and that you are not a part of. Yet what they're really looking at is that you are Igbo or you are Cherokee or you are Celtic, mm -hmm. you know, and rather than going back to that, you are from Ireland or you are from Scotland. Who the hell? No, no. Your DNA is not looking at a geographical location on the clock. It's looking at who you are and what makes you up. You know, so I would bring Elaine to enlighten us and using examples for us to throw off these shackles that have been thrown on us, mm -hmm. you know, to find a way for us to, you know, that would be the light. The love is just... She could just sing us into education. <laughs> <You know? laughs> All right. Well, that's pretty persuasive. So I'm definitely going to allow Elaine as the secretary of love, love and, light, and light of love, love and light. light.
But looking over your choices, um, the Marsalis family for defence, yes. Mm-hmm. Kurt Elling. Arts and culture, Arts yeah. And culture. That definitely, we're going to put that through. But I'm going to say, like, He's I'm very he... thankful Diana Krall and Dee Dee Bridgewater. We heard those two uh, wonderful versions. Yeah, okay, but right. it's too vague, so I'm not yeah. letting them through. All right, okay, all right. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, well. I will let the people speak. <laughs> I don't care if the mob turn on me. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. Okay, well, that's it. Sadly, that's all the time we have. In fact, the entire series. Now, we've had some wonderful suggestions across the series. We've had Count Basie and the entire Count Basie Orchestra uh, running the Ministry of Defence. Joni Mitchell as Secretary for the Environment. Free jazz legend Phil Minton as Secretary of Health. That was uh, Stuart Lee suggested that. And Tom Waits as Secretary of State for Misfits, which I, uh, which I like. What a cabinet that would be. Um, so would the world be a better place if it was run by jazz musicians? I'm still sadly against it, but I would like uh, year on year to divide it up by instrument. So uh, the world should be run just by jazz trumpet players <laughs> for a year and then trombonists once the trumpet players have made a real mess of it the trombonists could come and go look this is a way more complicated instrument uh, and tidy it up and then the saxophonists could bring a bit of light to it mm-hmm. and then we'd get the bass and drum players to tidy everything up and put it back together I would kick off with the bass first you know yeah, yeah bass first to give yeah. it some guidance yeah yeah you gotta through. lay that down first you know and then give a little impetus. What about, about the clarinets? I was including them mm, alongside mm. the saxophone. Not, you know, like it's its own thing. I'm as much a fan of Ackerbilk as you are, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my thanks to this week's president, Clark Peters, to tonight's Tomorrow's Warrior pianist, Sultan Stevenson, to my producer, Debbie Kilbride, executive producer, Alison Vernon-Smith, and of course, to Peter Express for having us here. The Cabinet of Jazz is a Loftus Media production for Jazz FM, supported by the Audio Content Fund. (laughs) 